Amen, right? God's good, right? Lord is, the Lord is moving in his people, and I love watching uh, life change, right? One of, the, I, one of the things I love most about being able to pastor a church and be able to lead uh, people in this way is to see the Lord work in people's lives and transform their lives, right? Uh, so many people are so, so many people are so like, I uh, have this idea, idea of miracles or, you know, people uh, receiving sight or people rising from the dead or people being healed from a disease. But I, I want to tell you the greatest miracle of all is someone coming to faith in Christ. And I want to tell you this morning is like, I'm so excited to watch people go from death to life in Christ. We talk about all the time in 2 Corinthians where Paul writes to, to the church in Corinth that, you know, he says, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. It says the old is gone and the new has come. And so what I love about the body of Christ is that it's a bunch of new people, right, living together with the Holy Spirit giving us life and giving us unity. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And so um, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 12 and then 1 Peter chapter 2 also. We're going to have a little double uh, whammy here with, with the scripture, but I think y'all will forgive me, right? And so I, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Michael Page. I'm the lead pastor here at um, Connection Church Rinkin. And for those of you that have been coming and thinking, man, there's so many people that preach at this church, right? There's been the last five or six weeks we've had different men preach the word each week. And so you're like, does the lead pastor ever preach, right? And so the answer is yes, okay? The answer is yes, but um, it's pretty amazing that the Lord has blessed us with men who can properly teach the word of God. Um, because what I know is we have a mission to raise up men who can plant churches because our mission is to, we, we exist to make disciples and multiply churches among all nations. And for that to happen, we want to see men and their families raised up to be sent out as church planners and missionaries. And the only way that we can do that effectively is by giving them opportunities to lead and to teach, right? And my spirit is thankful for the rest, right? And so uh, today what we're going to do as you can see on the screen, we're starting a brand new series. It's a three-week series called Community that, the Community that will lead all the way up to um, August the 27th, where right after church, we'll have a connect group meet and greet. You're like, well, what is a connect group and what is a meet and greet, right? Well, a connect group is uh, small groups. It's how we, we believe at Connection. We're a church of small groups. My goal as a pastor is to make you really uncomfortable unless you're in a small group, right? Because we want to see... We want to see, we believe the church was created to do life together, right? And we, we believe communities where real life change happens. And so um, what I want to show you this morning as we jump into this series, this is going to be a very, very simple talk this morning about what community is. And so um, at Connection, Connect Groups is, is how we practically live out the value of community. Um, and so that's the heart. And so uh, we, we try to take a, um, the Acts 2, the New Testament model of church, and we tried to bring it to life here. And so I, I have a graphic for all the people that are visual. And so if you're visual, this is kind of the, the, the mentality. So you have the greater church gathering right here. You have the connect group, and then you have the discipleship. And so you're like, well, this looks like a shopping list, right? Well, I want to tell you what this is not. This is not a shopping list for Christians to choose their level of investment in the church. Because I, we're going to keep this up here for just a, just a minute. But what I know is like... When you come to a church, we, as I've grown up in church, I've always thought the church was you come, you sit, you listen to a pastor, you sing a few songs, you give a few hugs after service, and you go eat some fried chicken after service, and then you're done, right? That's, what I, that's what the way I was raised in church. And it wasn't until I started actually reading the Bible that I realized that was crazy, right? We're going to look at that this morning. And so what I want to show you this morning in this, this image and what I want to show you about me and about you, like none of this is even about you or me, right? None of this is about us. This is, this is how the Bible expects Christians to live alongside of one another and relate to the world. But what about our schedules? Man, I'm busy, right? Who's busy? Everybody's busy. How you doing? I'm busy. I gotta do this, gotta do this, gotta do this. We pack our schedules to the point where this becomes something we try to fit into the margins of our lives instead of it being how we live our life as brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Like, we're going to dig into some of this today. And so I just want to kind of do a little review for those of you that have been here before. Um, we believe, we know in Scripture, as we look at the word, the Bible's original word for the church is Greek, and it's ekklesia. And what we believe and what we see in the word ekklesia, it means an assembly of called out people. If you get to the actual root of that, it's an assembly of called out ones. 
And so if you're a believer in Christ this morning, you have a label of you're a called out one. You've been called out by the Lord. That's that's big, that's big deal. You've been called out by the Lord Himself on a mission. And so we're called to assemble together. And so if you're like me, a little bit nerdy, you like to know definitions of words, right? And so I looked up what Webster said community was. Well, this is what it says. Community um, is a group of people living in the same place and having a particular characteristic in common. So who agrees that the Holy Spirit is a pretty, 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 pretty character, uh, similar characteristic in, part, in common, right? We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We're together. We're seeing that played out. And so I started thinking through this. Well, what is Christian community? Christian community, what is that? I think you take it a little bit further. You, a Christian community is a group of people living in the same place and having a particular what in common? A particular mission in common. And so the original definition of community, as you read it in Scripture, literally means common unities. Common unities, that we have a common purpose. Who understands that the church has a common purpose? We, we do. Uh, those of you that did not know that today, welcome to church. We have a common goal of seeing the nations reached for the kingdom of God. We have common values. We have common goals. But that's kind of, listen, that, that, that's, that's not how church has been done for the longest time. And I want to preface something this morning. I want to give you a preface, right? The benefits of community are, are like are love. You get love in community. You get unity. You get, you get cared for, supported. You're included in community, hopefully, right? All those things. I want to preface this. The benefits of community, those things are not the goals of community, right? Hear this this morning. These are the results of healthy community. You go to, you go to a small group. You're involved in a connect group. You're, you have these things happening, but these are, not the, these are not the goals of community, but that's how the church has kind of marketed the church, community within the church, but as I look at Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 paints a very detailed image of the church being made up of small, powerful cells of born-again believers who met in groups of about 8 to 12 people in homes to study the Word, to pray together, and to fellowship together. That's what we see in the Bible. These weren't meant to be support groups. The, 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 there was great intention in these groups, and so the goal was to build each other up to be powerful agents of God's kingdom, okay? And so these people knew that they were sent out with a message, but not only that, they were sent out on a mission. And their meeting together on a weekly basis had a central purpose of being equipped to be effective and committed to the mission of God in their lives. So what did they do? They met in each other's homes to equip, to encourage, to build up, to call out um, gifts in people. They met together in the temple to worship and to celebrate all that God was doing in and through them throughout the community. So technically, as you read it in the Bible, this gathering here should be a celebration of what God has done out there. Does that make sense? This gathering should be a celebration of what, what God is doing in your small groups, how people are coming to faith in Christ in your communities. This should be a place where we celebrate baptisms, right? Take your Lord's Supper together and come together in unity around what God is doing. There was a sense of family that I read that could only be explained as supernatural. They were united around the gospel because the gospel brought them together. And as I look at scripture, what I know, what I see throughout is the goal of Christian community was and is great commission's fulfillment. Can you hear that this morning? The goal of community, the goal of gathering together in homes as connect groups listening to the word, worshiping. The goal is great commission fulfillment. So community and mission are inseparable. Community and mission are inseparable, but we try to separate it like a shopping list. I want this. I want, be, I want to be a part of community, but not the Sunday morning gathering. I want to be a part of the Sunday morning gathering, but not outreach because that just causes me to get up my comfort zone a little bit, right? Community and mission are inseparable, but for the longest time, church has been living has been living in somewhat of an identity crisis. Can we agree on that? The church across this land has been living in somewhat of an identity crisis. And it's been there for so long that it's become normal, right? We, we don't know who we are. Well, let's test it. Let's test it really quick. So this is the Bible. We believe it's perfect. It's in fabulous. It's, it's, its word is built, meant for rebuking, correcting, teaching, and guiding, right? 
So you take this word and you hold it up against the rhythms of your life. The rhythms of your life. Across the audience, across the chairs, is anything, is anything off kilter, right? So we see this morning that there's an identity issue even with that. So I've grown up, man, I, grew, I, I tell people all the time that I'm a recovering Baptist. And so I've, I've grown up in many, many, many different um, Christian contexts where I've always felt like, you know, something's missing. I read the Bible and I go to church and those things don't really, don't really come together and add up to me, right? Uh, or I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in this place where I'm, I'm, I'm hoping today that as we dive into this series on community, and we talk about what Christian community is, we can start connecting some dots and work together to see a church that's built here that will make much of Jesus first and then draw many to Christ. That's the goal of the church. And so today we're going to talk about that. So Romans 12, verse 1, we're going to jump in there. So I want to pray for us, and then we'll jump into that. So Father God, I pray this morning that, number one, you're glorified. God, I pray that your word would just penetrate hearts. God, I pray whatever people come into this room with this morning would be left at the door, God, that you would just heal, you would restore, you would reconcile, God, that you would use your word to convict, to teach, to rebuke our hearts, God, that you would drive us to, um, to, to next steps, Lord. Give us a heart and an urgency to take next steps in what you're calling us to. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, I hope you have your Bible. Um, we're going to um, be in Romans chapter 12, verse together. It says this. It says, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, in verse 2, and talks about how we're set apart. It says, do not be conformed to this age, pleasing and perfect will is. Who has ever asked, God, what is your will in this situation? We, we have conversations in here, right? And so it's more of, a, it's more of an interactive experience, okay? So whenever Paul is saying, listen, don't be conformed to, the, to the, this word, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get this word in your heart. But if the word gets in your heart and you don't act it out, you become, like CJ told us, you become spiritually obese and unable to move. We're called to read the word, let it digest, let it get into our body, and then we act on the word, right? And so what we're seeing here, you want to know what God's will is? Be transformed. Read the word. Be in community. Let the Holy Spirit do his work in you, and God will begin to show you things that your mind can't fathom. And what's, what is he saying? Let's keep moving. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you, he's speaking to the church corporately, not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. What he's saying is ain't nobody special in here. Nobody. Nobody in this room is more special than someone else. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think sensibly. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts should not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ. Christ is the head. And individually, members of one another. That's an important part. Individually, members of one another. We belong to each other. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, that means encouraging. In exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. He's saying, use the gifts that God gave you to build up the church so that we can be unified. Well, I love the next seven or eight verses. He's teaching us how to do that. He's, he's given us some guidelines on how to. So who likes to know how to do something? Once you get the command, well, how? Paul's going to show you. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. How we doing with that? We doing good? Okay. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. This is a, a sentence that I want you to hold on to this morning. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another with showing honor to each other. What that means is a high level of respect. Outdo each other in showing respect to one another. What would a church look like? If we outdid one another and showing respect to one another. Like, I'm competitive. I'm going to outdo you in showing honor to you. Like, I'm going to beat you in showing you honor, bro. Like, so there's a competition. On, and I, like, I like this verse. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. 
Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And I want to say right here, it's easy to rejoice with those who rejoice, but it gets awkward with weeping with someone who weeps, right? We kind of do the whole Bart Simpson thing with the shrubs. Whenever somebody's awkwardly crying, you're like kind of, you know, I'm praying for you from over here, right? No, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to get in the trenches together as brothers and sisters in community to do life together. Bear one another's burdens. Let's keep reading. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be, here we go again. Do not be wise in your own estimation. How many people are wise in their own estimation? Spouses don't elbow each other at that comment, right? Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. This is a big point. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So what that's saying is it might not be possible to live at peace with everyone, but as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So what we're seeing here, Paul is saying in an overarching way, use the gifts that God has given you to build up the church so that it can carry out its mission. But so many people in our church and in churches around the world, there's this overarching theme in how Paul is saying we should live alongside of one another as brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters in the church, I call it sacred siblings. We're sacred siblings in this place. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying literally, none of this is about you, but it's about your brother and your sister. If I stop thinking about myself and start caring about my brother and my sister, there's a, there's a supernatural thing that begins to happen, right? He's saying your gifts are meant to equip, encourage, and build up the church, not for you to gain or hold a position of influence. It's not about your influence. It's not about your gain. It's about you dying to yourself and coming alive in Christ to encourage and build up. And then he goes in on how the mindset we should approach Christian community in verses 9 through 18. So my question, those verses that we talked about, outdo one another in showing honor. Is that how we approach church? Or are we church shopping? Are we trying to find something for ourselves? We talk about this in heart and soul, man, like, Everybody that comes to a church the first time or tries to seek out community for the first time is a consumer. It's just how it is. My goal and our goal as leaders in a church is to get people from being a consumer to becoming an owner where this church is yours and you care about the growth of it and you care about the brothers and sisters around you and the growth of them, right? That's the goal of the church because we're more effective when we're together because we're better together. But what happens in the church so many times we, we market the church as just an organization where we come and we try, we try to have the best music and the best things and the, all the right programs. And what happens is people begin to see service or church as a service for them instead of a family to belong to, right? And so what happens is we get to this place where we begin to fit church in the margins of our schedule unless instead of it being who we are to the point where I have to be among the brothers and sisters as the sacred siblings because without that community, I'm less than because I need you to encourage me and you need me to encourage you. As a Christian, you need the church and the church needs you, right? And I think we can all agree there's this massive misunderstanding around who the church is and what we were created for. There are two questions that if you were to poll churches around the nation, you would get a hundred different answers. Who we are, why do we exist? Who we are, why do we exist? Even in this room, I bet you if we did a little secret survey, we'd have 100 different answers. Why? I mean, we, we read the same, I hope we read the same Bible. We read the same Bible, right? We read the same Bible, and from Genesis to Revelation, we see who we are, we see who the church is called to be, we see the mission, we see why we exist, we're called to be unified. And so what I believe, if you flip over to 1 Peter, what you can see, I don't think there is a better example of, of the Bible showing us the answer to these two questions. We look in 1 Peter chapter 2, we can look in verse um, 4 through 10. What does it say? Let's read it together. It says, as you come to him, a living stone, speaking about Jesus, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God. You yourselves, as living stones, a what? A spiritual house are being built. Okay, there's a process. Nobody in this room has made it. 
I don't care how nice and pretty people's lives are in here, how well they're dressed, how, how, what kind of car they drive, what their Bible study looks like. Ain't nobody in this room got it together. Everybody just fronting and, and, and pretending, right? We're just, we're trying to, let's just drop some walls today. Let's just be real, you know, be vulnerable. Here we go. We're being built. It's a process to be what? A holy priesthood, to be able to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, I want to, it talks about how, um, it brings in scripture um, from, um, from Isaiah in here, and it goes on, it talks about how the stone that the builders rejected, Jesus, has become the cornerstone. If anybody knows about construction, the cornerstone, if you don't get the cornerstone plumb and, and square and right, the whole house is messed up. So if, the, if, if Jesus is not the cornerstone of Connection Church, Rinkin, we're in trouble, and you should probably find another church. Because I am, if that's the case, right? But it's, we're going to be very, very adamant about that being the case. It goes on in verse 9. He talks about the unbelievers stumbling over Jesus. It's, the gospel's too simple. They stumble over Jesus, the unbelievers. Maybe somebody here has been stumbling over Jesus their whole life. Verse 9. But you, but you, but you. Great, great, great verse, little phrase. But you are a chosen race, a kingdom race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people for Jesus' possession. Why? Why? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, you listen to these people this morning. I was addicted to drugs, pornography, alcohol. I was, I was depressed. I had anxiety. All these things. Once they were not a people, guess what? Now they are a people. Isn't that great? You're seeing this, this play out in real time today. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. You had not received mercy. They had not received mercy, but now they have received mercy in Jesus' name. Isn't that great? And so I read this, and I'm reminded of Legos. Yeah, you can laugh. It's fine. It's a safe place. So my son's a Lego expert, way better than me. He has little fingers. I blame it on that, but it's really he's smarter than me probably. So... This, I, he built this this morning. I said, I text my wife at 7 o'clock. I said, hey, you think Braxton can build a church? Here he is. He built it. Here it is. It's got a, it's got a doorway with an arch and a, and a cross too. And so what I know is what we see here, I, I love, you, you, are, you, are, you are a spiritual stone. You're a living stone that is being built into a spiritual house. Right? And each block is important to the rest of the building, Right? And so I started looking at Scripture, and I, and I noticed 26 individual giftings of the Holy Spirit. It's administration, healing, faith, words of wisdom, tongues, interpretation of tongues, miracles, uh, pastor, teacher, evangelism, somebody else is going to clean this up, apostleship, interpretation, discernment, prophecy, mercy, words of wisdom again, mercy again, giving, exhortation, serving, prophecy, fear of the Lord, understanding. They, they go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. But that, there's not a comprehensive list of gifts in the Bible anywhere. They're all important to the building up of the body of Christ. Because guess what? This is impressive, right? I mean, my five-year-old son, but it's impressive, right? But let me tell you this. Is this impressive? I mean, it's just a piece of, it's a Lego. Like what? I mean, it's just wide. It's got some stuff on the top. It's like, what am I going to do with this? But so many people come to the church and they're like, Look at my block. Look at me. Look at the thing that I can do. Look, I'm important. No, you're, you're another part of the body being built up into a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Each one of us may have one of these, but by itself, it's not that impressive. But when we come together and unify around the gospel, it's pretty impressive what God can do. Do you see that? So don't come to the body and say, look at my gift of prophecy. I can properly exegete scripture. I know all these theological terms. That's great. We'll build up other people with it. Don't talk to me about it. Right? Jesus is not impressed with your gift because he gave it to you. Right? I mean, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, like, as we think about it, each piece is important. But no individual piece is impressive alone. A few years ago, um, there was a big uproar whenever uh, Justin Bieber came to the faith in Christ. Anybody remember that? Uh, and it's, it's always interesting whenever a celebrity comes to faith in Christ. You're like, yeah, right? You don't know the guy. You don't know if it's, you, you, you gotta get in community. Okay. So, uh, do we have any believers in here, right? Anybody? 
if you ever scared. So Mr. Bieber, uh, he was asked a question one time about his faith and being a part of a church. This was his quote. He said, I think a lot of religious people get lost. They go to church just to go to church. I'm, trying, I'm not trying to disrespect them, but for me, I focus more on praying and talking to God. I don't have, a, I don't have to be a part of a church community. I wish I could talk to this guy. And before we start judging Mr. Bieber, there are many people who think and believe just like this, whether they want to admit it or not. They're satisfied with their little Lego piece. I got my gift. The Lord's blessing me. I'm saved. I'm baptized. I know I'm, I got fruit in my life, right? But they've wrestled with the question, I love Jesus, but do I really need the church? And many have concluded they don't because they've seen the church do this. Look at my gift. Look how much money I give. Look how much I serve. Look how beautiful my church is. Look at all these things. Todd Boslinger wrote a book and said this. He said this, more than any before us, an American today believes I must write the story of my own life. The thought that such a script must be subordinated to the grand narrative of the Bible is a foreign one. Still more alarming is the idea that this surrender of our personal story into God's story must be mediated by a community of fallen people who we frankly don't want getting in our way and meddling with our hopes and dreams. Isn't that true? Like, I have this romantic idea about the church. Let's get in the living room and cry together and have food and talk about Jesus and pray together. And then when I'm done, I'm going to go home and act like I did before I went to that group, right? There's, so I'm, I'm, I'm more focused about people seeing me. I'm more focused about how someone has offended me than I am about being reconciled to the body. And so as I read this, I'm like, man, so 1 Peter 2 tells us that we're being built into a spiritual house. It literally calls each one of us who are a believer in this room. There are people in this room that do not believe and who are not saved. Jesus talks about that, the wheat and the tare. The people in this room that are believers, you are being built into a spiritual house. It literally causes living stones. And, but we're being built on the cornerstone, Jesus. And we're being built for a purpose. It's not just because. We're just being built because we like churches. We like people. No, people who claim to follow Jesus but don't have a value for community, the church, have a misunderstanding of who the church is and why it exists. But before we can understand the need for community, in our lives, we must truly understand the two things we asked earlier. Who are we? Who are we? That's the first thing. If there's anything in our culture right now, in our cultural climate, that is under more spiritual attack, I would say it's identity, right? Who, who knows that identity is being attacked? People don't even know if they're boys or girls. They don't know if they're left or right. They don't know what they believe about certain scenarios. They don't know anything about their identity is under attack. They want to be someone else. Let's just be whoever you feel like you need to be. Tim Keller said this. He said, Tim Keller said, the Bible says that our real problem is that every one of us are building our identity on something besides Jesus. This morning, are you building your identity on your gift? Are you building your identity on a position that you hold in the church? Are you building your identity on being a husband or a wife or a mother or a father or a friend or a, a position you hold at work? Are you building your identity on Jesus? Because that is the only rock that will not crumble when trouble comes. It says, you are the chosen race, a royal priest, and a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so if you live, as I read this, think with me for a second, come back into center. If you really believe this, 9 and 10 of chapter 2, if you truly believe that you are a kingdom race, a royal priesthood, which means you are a look like it does right now. Already look different. It's just a question. For himself a people, right? That was meant to be an extension of himself on earth. Church, so from the beginning of time, God has been creating for himself a people who, on the screen, says, therefore, we are what? Ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. Wait a minute. You mean God is speaking through us to the world? 110% yes. Do you see why it's so important that you're not lone wolfing it out here? There's no one-man wolf packs in the church. 
We're called to be unified together, right? An ambassador, I was like, well, I like definitions. What does ambassador mean? Well, it means this. An accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. You think about that for a second. If you believe what Paul said, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on you. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Come back to Jesus. If you believe that verse and you believe that definition of what Webster said an ambassador was, that means if you're a believer in this room, if you're a Christian in this room, you are an official representative of heaven. How's that look in your everyday life? We doing good with that? We, we handling that well, right? I mean, that's a serious question because that's what the Bible says. And we believe what the Bible says. If you're a Christian, we should be living like we represent the king of kings. I'm like, whoa. So a Christian is a heavenly diplomat with a message of reconciliation and hope. But let me tell you what I would do. If I was your enemy and I was trying to trip you up and destroy your life, steal, kill, and destroy everything you own, right? I would, if I would try to tempt you to idolize work. I would try to tempt you to idolize your relationships, your children, to idolize these things. I would try to make your life about you. I would try to make your life about your little gift that you think is impressive to Jesus, right? I would try to make you think you're a big deal. But what does Paul say? Think soberly. Have a proper view of yourself. I would try to, this is, this is the best one. I would try to make you so religious and self-righteous that you wouldn't think anything was happening wrong. If I go to church, if I pray, if I'm a part of a connect group, if I sing right in church, if I read my Bible, if I pray, Jesus is going to love me. That's nowhere in Scripture. But throughout Scripture, what we do see is God deals more often with groups of people than he does with individuals. Israelites, they were coming out of Egypt. What does he say? This might sound familiar. God is talking to the Israelites. Now, if you will carefully listen to me, and keep my commandment, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples. Though all the earth is mine, you will be my kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God wanted a people for himself, Israel, to become a kingdom of priests, his representatives, his ambassadors on earth. But guess what? The Israelites, they wanted to worship other gods from other nations. Does that sound familiar? Right? We're falling into that same trap today. So what Peter is showing us as a believer, because of Jesus, we're able to exist in the fulfillment of that promise. All based on what Jesus has done. And so what I want you to see, what unites us as Christians, this is the great unifier. This is why we can lock arms and shake hands and hug, is that none of us deserved it. <laughs> Isn't that a great unifier? There's more than that, but that's the main one. Like, none of us are here because of anything we've done. None of us are here because our gifts are nice and shiny. And we've had, lived a perfect life. And we've not sinned. And all. We, we've, none of us are here. Actually, we are here in spite of us. We didn't even find grace. Grace found us. Isn't that good? Ephesians 1 says that through Jesus, we were predestined to be adopted as sons and daughters. You may not have had a great home life. Your dad and mom might have been terrible. Your dad and mom might have been good. You might have been an orphan. You might have been in foster care. You may be adopted here this morning. This is amazing because what happens? Romans 8 preaches the same adoption message. Paul is talking to the Romans. He declares that the spirit we received brought about our adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. What an intimate cry. But what's more interesting is in the Roman Empire, there was a very unique element to the adoption process. Hear this. The adoption process in the Roman Empire, as an adopted child, you'd immediately receive the full power and status of the adopting family. Immediately. All the wealth, all the position in the community. So technically, as an adopted son or a daughter, you had more legal rights in the community than you would have as a blood son or daughter. Isn't that cool? So look at the correlation that Paul is making here. So as a, a father, could, he could have an issue with his son and say, listen, I'm writing you out of my will. You acting crazy. You ain't getting none of this money or, or this position or power or property. But he couldn't do that with an adopted son. It was illegal for a, a father to remove an adopted son from his will. Isn't that crazy? 
The adopted son was immediately given the irrevocable rights of an heir. Romans 8 goes on to say, now if we are children, then guess what? We are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Let's get excited this morning and not look so bored because this is supernatural. Because what I said a moment ago, if you're an ambassador, you're an official representative of heaven. Not only that, you're also an heir. You know, there's a lot of people in here that may have some money. Like, I got a, my dad had a lot of money, so I'm going to get all that money when he dies. Great, awesome. I'm, listen, your dad ain't got as much money as God has. Your dad doesn't have as much position as God has. You're an heir to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It says you are co-heirs with Christ. That's who you are. Do you live like that? That's who the church is called to be as we come together. And this is where Paul is starting as he begins to lay out our identity. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's possession. But what about Ephesians 2? What about Ephesians 2? It says we put our, when we, before we put our trust in Christ, maybe you're here and you're not saved today. Before we put our trust in Christ, the Bible says we were dead in our sins, lovers of darkness, children of disobedience, and doomed to hell. But God, in his grace... Grace is the ability of God working in us and doing for us, and we can't do it in our own ability, right? By his grace, he reached down into our lives, took the payment of our sin, because all sin deserves punishment and death, so that it's by grace that we are saved through faith, not from anything that we have done. It's a gift of God so that you can't get cocky and arrogant. The Bible says you can't boast, but I like that version, yeah. When I read this, I'm like, this is what unites us. This is what's unique about the church. If you're a born-again Christian, you got there through Jesus and Jesus alone. That's the only way you got there. If you're a born-again Christian, Jesus purchased your life by his blood, and it's through grace that you've been adopted out of the world and were saved. And the one who extends the grace always gets the glory. The one who extends the grace always gets the glory. And God has designed the church community as a tapestry of his grace that echoes his glory. So there should be no room in this body for arrogance. There should be no room in this body for anything other than humility that we're even saved at all. So we come together with all of our gifts and all of our attributes and we, just, we create a beautiful tapestry of what God has done. And the world sees this and is drawn to Jesus. That's who we are. So we see that living in Christian community is far more than just attending a service. It feels kind of silly now to say, oh, I, just got, I, go, I go to that church. Don't ever say, I go to that church, right? Because that's, that's not, I'm a part of that church. I'm a part of that body. It's more than just a showing up to a connect group with your casserole, right? It's more than just praying and reading. It's about being a part of each other. So, it's something supernatural. It's what sets us apart. So the church defined, here it is. The church defined. The church is the regenerate. That means the, the, the new people of God saved by the power of God for the purposes of God in the world. The church is the regenerate people of God saved by the power of God for the purposes of God in the world. What this means is we don't stop being the church when we walk out the building on Sunday mornings. Okay? Instead, everything we do, we do as the church of God that he purchased with his own blood. That's huge because being a Christian doesn't mean that we live a little bit better than the world, right? And then go to church. That's not what it means. It means that we've surrendered every goal, every dream, every aspiration of our life. And we have aligned it with the plans and the purposes of God that we see in Scripture. We've aligned it with him. Is that easy? No. Not at all. It's very hard. But it's easier when you're in community because you have brothers and sisters sharpening you. It means we've surrendered all of it. Look how Paul addresses the elders in Ephesus as, he, as he's leaving Ephesus in Acts 20. It'll be on the screen. Paul's telling the elders, the, 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 the top leaders of the church, he says, be on your guard. Be on guard for yourselves for all the flock for which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God. What does it say? Which he purchased with his own blood. If you read that and you have a low view of church, you need to read it again. 
Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. The church is a people who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And as I read this, I'm amazed because 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? This is for Christians. You are not your own, but you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your bodies. And so the people of God have always been called to live together, invested in community, and set apart from the, from the world. The last thing, last thing, why do we exist? So that's who we are. Why do we exist? We see chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people of God's own possession, so that we may proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We exist to proclaim the praises of God. We exist to spread the gospel. We exist to proclaim God's glorious work in our lives, to proclaim his goodness to the people God places around us. Proclaim literally means to make an official declaration. The enemy has been lying to you for a long time about, I don't know enough to share the gospel. I don't know enough. I'm too scared to talk to people. If you go around the room and poll the room, how many people have shared the spoken message of the gospel? You would be astounded at how much the enemy has lied and made people believe they're not good enough. Because he gets them to focus on their little gifts. That's not my gift. That's somebody else in the church's gift. No, you're called to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. Christian community exists for great commission fulfillment. As I think about community in my own life, these two things sticks out. Like, God uses community to do really two important things. One, to carry out his mission through his people. And then two, to produce maturity in his people. So to carry out his mission through his people and to produce maturity in his people. You see that? So that's what community is. We like to say community is where real life change happens, but guess what? Who knows that your life doesn't magically change when you sign up for a connect group or go for the first time. It, just all, it doesn't like, oh, now I'm changed. No, man, don't be crazy. That's not what happens. If you're not willing to invest in community in a way where you've made yourself accountable to somebody, where they can call you on your stuff and they can walk alongside of you and you care about their growth and they care about your growth, the needle of your spiritual maturity will never move, ever. If you're not caring about somebody else's holiness, it's still about you, right? If you're not willing to invest in community, I want to tell you right now, don't go to a connect group and don't sign up on August 27th because it's, it's still about you and you're, not, you're wasting your time. Like, Go and be invested because guess what? Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, God hasn't really worked through me since you came to Christ. And, the, and I want to tell you this morning, the central cause of that is, is you haven't allowed God to work in you. Maybe you haven't surrendered to things that God has called you to surrender. We can quench the spirit of God as he tries to work in us by being disobedient to his word and his leading. Because guess what? The tendency of the American church is to, is to see people convert to Christianity. Everybody raise your hand. You've been saved. Go to baptism. We want to see people saved. We want to get them wet. And then we'll say, good luck. Right? That's what the church has done. But God has called us to live in community to work in and through the sanctification process. God sanctifies us through his word and through living in community together. I would even venture to say that apart from the body of Christ and community, sanctification is impossible. So God's primary concern in your life is to form you into the image of his son. Well, why? So that you can be useful. So that you can be useful to the church. There's a purpose. Romans 8. I use this verse all the time. Romans 8, 28 and 29. The first part is romantic. We love it. We put it on Facebook. Oh, it's such a good verse. God's going to take care of all my problems. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. I love God, so all the things are going to work for the good, right? Well, if you stop there, it appears like life is about who? You. You can keep reading verse 29 because if you know in the Bible, you can't read verse 28 apart from verse 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So who knows that sickness, that relational woe, that the things that you're walking through that are hard. Maybe you shouldn't be praying for those things to stop. Maybe you should be praying that God would reveal the lesson in them. God conforms us into the image of his son. What happened to his son? He was beat. He was crucified. He was spit on. 
He conforms us into the image of his son. In other words, God uses community to produce spiritual maturity in us so that we can be useful for his mission. Remember, the church exists for great commission fulfillment, right? And God's plan is still to use the church to reach the ends of the earth with the gospel and to restore his people. And scripture shows us that he wants to use his church to do it. C.S. Lewis said the church exists for nothing else but to draw men to Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are doing, if they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. Community exists for great commission fulfillment. Too many people think of community as a way to add a little God in their lives to make them feel better. But Jesus says, come and die. Throw away your life and allow me to give you a new one, a better one. As I read this this morning, man, today the church is being tempted to focus on social justice issues, entertainment, celebrity pastors, preaching sermons to keep people coming to service so that people will keep giving so they can keep doing what they're doing. But that's not the point. All those things happen, yes, but the point is to see the saints equipped through intentional relationships and community and have opportunities to do the ministry in their everyday life. The mission has gotten muddy in the church, man. Jenny Greer once said that without the mission, the church is not a church. It's just a group of disobedient Christians hanging out. You know, I mean, a huge problem, man, in this is, in our culture, this is, this is being, the gospel has been taught as, it's, it's a powerless and, and watered-down gospel to make people feel better, to make people happy instead of staying true to the biblical gospel to make people holy. It's not about you being happy. It's about you being holy, right? And, and this has produced powerless and timid Christians who don't find it nice to be a people who say Jesus and his mission will be first in all we do, and there's why we exist and live in that reality. And this is going to express itself in that. Because if you're not, you're going to have a really hard time. Two is we'll invest in community no matter what. If this is you this morning, remember the church is the regenerate people of God saved by the power of God and we exist for the purposes of God in the world. Remember that. If this is you this morning and you're like, hey, I need that type of community. It's more than just attending a service. August 27th, we're going to preach two more sermons on this. We'll have a sign-up outside. You'll meet all the connect group leaders. You can sign up for a connect group. But you don't have to wait till then. You can go to the next steps. If you've got this door right here to the right, you can sign up for anything we have going on in the church. Do that. Make, make a move in the right direction. So as we're closing today, I, I have one question that I, I, I've been asking. I've been waiting to ask until the end. Where do you fit in? If you haven't listened to anything I've said, where do you fit in? Where do you fit in? As you've been listening today, have you been trying to figure out if you fit into this description of who we are and why we exist? Because so many people through the years have equated being a member of a church or being baptized as being Christian. I attend this church. I'm a member. I've been baptized. Therefore, I'm going to heaven one day. And I want to tell you this morning and hear this clearly, that is anti-biblical. That is nowhere in the Bible. Those are just external verifiers. You being a member of the church, you being baptized, are verifications, right? That you. So what I want you to see, there is only one way to be reconciled to God, and that is resting the weight of your life on Jesus. And the primary fruit of that reality is obedience to his word. Look at your life. Are you, when, you, when I said this this morning, like, how is your life, the rhythms of your life, aligned with God's word? Has the enemy taken you so far away from God's word that you don't know what it says to be able to obey? These are good questions to ask the American church because we've rested the weight of our life on religion rather than Jesus. This morning, I pray we start changing that. The question is, do you know him? Right? I could call two people up. I could call my wife up here in a second, and I can call somebody that I met this morning for the first time. I could say I know both of you, but I really know my wife, and I don't know you, though, but I know your name. But that's how some of us come to Christ. I know about God. I know, I know a little bit of facts about him. I know his name. I know, he, I know the gospel here. I know little bits and pieces of the gospel. But do you know Jesus? Because I realize most of you have heard sermons most every Sunday of your life. But have they penetrated your heart to where your heart has changed and you've been born again? Because religion will keep you away from God quicker than anything else in your life. To be born again means that you've been made new. New desires, new direction, new heart. 
new minds. I'm not asking you if you're perfect. I'm asking you, have you been born again? Have you experienced the gospel that has left you changed? Is there fruit that's evident in your life that points you to being a Christ father? Have you ever made a disciple? Have you shared the gospel? Do you have a desire to share the gospel? Have you ever repented of your sin? If not, I want to tell you this morning, it is impossible for you to be a part of this supernatural community that we've been talking about today. Not because we're mean, but because the definition of the church is the gathering of the regenerate, born-again people of God, saved by the power of God, sent for the purposes of God. The question, is that you? Not people around you. Is that you this morning? So let's just bow our heads, close your eyes. Let's just prepare to pray for a moment. Have you ever responded to the gospel that Jesus was sent by God? God created the heavens and the earth and created you to live in perfect harmony with him. But because of our sin, we have been separated from God's presence with no way to return. Remember this morning we talked about this. But God, because of God's grace, he made a way. He sent Jesus to bear the weight of our sin on the cross. Romans 10, 9, 10 says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. Jeremiah 29, 13 says that you will seek and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. Many people have raised a hand or prayed a prayer in service and, and banked their eternity on that thing, but their lives have never changed. Maybe this morning you need to give your life to Christ and come into a relationship with him, not just a religion with him. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe you haven't sought him with all your heart. Maybe your heart wasn't in that decision that you made and you're questioning everything. This morning I pray that you would give us an opportunity to pray with you. So this morning you say, hey, Michael, I'm... I need Jesus. I need to be saved this morning from my sins so that I can enter into that supernatural community that you're talking about. This is baseline. If that's you this morning, would you just do something very brave? Would you just raise your hand and let me pray for you? This somebody in this room needs to come to Christ, faith in Christ. There's no other way. For the rest of us, I pray that we would focus on what we've talked about this morning that we would give a heart of repentance to God, maybe come to this altar, maybe pray that God would forgive us for taking the church too lightly for understanding that now we're an ambassador of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are an ambassador from heaven. I want to pray for you. And as I pray, you come, you pray, you grab someone, come down here and pray. Just don't leave here if God is pursuing your heart. God, we love you. We thank you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for your work. I thank you for what you're doing in this church and our hearts. God, I thank you for the people who were baptized today, Father, as a sign of their salvation. I pray, Father, that you would just work in our hearts. God, the people in this room, I know there are people far from you. God, I pray that you would draw them near. I pray that you would bring them to a saving understanding of who you are. God, I pray that your spirit would break out in this room, God, in this place, in this community, and that there would be a real, true revival of people coming to faith in Christ. We would see many, Father, come. God, we love you. We praise you. It's all about you. It's all about your name being made famous among all nations. I pray, God, we would just live our lives to that end. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.